Parashat Shmini, we're going to look at um, an interesting uh, selection of Pesukim, very small. You'd almost not notice it if it wouldn't be for a famous dispute, debate between Rashi and Ramban as to the significance of these Pesukim. So if you look at source one, um, this is right at the end, uh, the final moment. You know that the parasha begins, uh, and it was on the eighth day. That means after a full week of practice runs, as it were, where Moshe Rabbeinu acted as the Kohen Gadol, he hands over the position to his brother Aharon. Aaron takes over, and this is now the eighth day, and they go through the whole process of a full day of temple worship, temple service together. And then Moshe takes a step back and it's Aaron who takes over and he becomes the Kohen Gadol. Him, his children, his descendants, until today are considered Kohanim. Moshe Rabbeinu is no longer considered the Kohen. Right at the end of that eighth day of that process, the handover process, the dedication process as it were, inauguration, we have these three Pesukim. After he's brought all the korbanot, Vayisa Aharon et Yadav. Please note, by the way, that the um, pasuk, the actual written text in the Torah is Yado, Yud Dalad Vav. Um, but we read it Yadav. That is the source for the custom that the Kohanim split their hands into two because they put up their hands when they give the blessing for the Kohanim. But because it says Yador, they turn their one hand into two hands, as it were, to two separate portions. That's where the shape of the hand that we're familiar with, the Kohanim split their um, fingers into, into two sets of two, comes from this word Yador, being pronounced Yadav, but actually written Yador in the singular. El Ha'am. Haron et Yadav El Ha'am. And he blessed them. He then descended from preparing the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. And Moshe and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, into the sanctuary. Then they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of God appeared to all the people. And a fire went forth from before God. And consumed the burnt offering and the fats that were upon the altar. And all the people saw. And they sang praises. And they fell upon their faces. So this is the final moment when the temple is no longer in practice. This is no longer practice run. It was in these moments, in these dramatic moments, that the end of the process of creating this temple, this sanctuary, were taking place. And finally the sanctuary was launched with a fire coming down from God. What you notice here is that the uh, beginning of that end moment is Aharon uh, blessing the people. Then Moshe and Aharon blessed the people again. But in between, they went into the Ohel Moed. So the question arises as to what was the blessing 
that Moshe and Aharon gave, and were they instructed to give that blessing, particularly Aharon? Okay, so if we want to understand what was going on here, I mean, uh, just, uh, you know, you, sometimes you don't notice something because it's not there. Do you know what I mean? But when it's, when it's not actually in the text, it's not in the narrative, you don't think about it. What was the blessing that Haran gave to the nation? What words did he use? All previous blessings that we've ever seen in the Torah, we're told what the blessing was. What was the blessing, for example, that Isaac gave to Jacob? Baruch Ata Basadeh, Baruch Ata Bavoecha, Baruch Ata Betetecha, right? That's, the, those were the blessings that he gave. Yaakov Avinu gave blessings to his children. We know exactly what he said. It's at the, it's at the end of Vayechi, or the middle of Vayechi. We know what the blessings were. But here we have no inkling as to what the words were that Haron used to bless the nation. What were the words that he used? So let's look at Rashi. Rashi immediately answers that question. Obviously, as with all Rashis, not all Rashis, but 95% of Rashis are based on a Chazal. He handpicks a Chazal which is appropriate to understand the text of the Chumash that we understand Pshat, the basic um, narrative or the basic understanding of what the Torah is telling us. Vayavarachem. So speaking about, this is in the first Pasuk that we read, Vayisaharon et yadav el ha'am vayavarachem, and he blessed them. Vayavarachem, says Rashi, birchat kohanim, with the priestly blessing, the priestly benediction. And he continues by telling us what that benediction was. Yevarechecha, ya'er yisa, yevarechecha Hashem v'yishmerecha, May God bless you and guard you. Ya'er Hashem May God cause His face to shine upon you. Yisa Hashem shalom. May God raise His face up towards you, etc., etc. We're very familiar with this blessing because in Eretz Yisrael, the Kohanim actually get up every day, shacharit, if there's a musaf, at musaf, and they say the priestly blessing. It's very familiar to anybody who goes to davening in a shul or in a minyan in Eretz Yisrael. Here we don't actually have the kohanim come up and say the blessing. The chazan, the shliach tzibur, says this blessing on Chagim, Pesach, Shavuot, Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. The priests do go up and they give this blessing with a very traditional, um, the traditional way. We cover our heads with talits as the kohanim do. They don't look at the, at the people, the community, the congregation. The congregation doesn't look at them. They raise up their arms, right? As it says here, that is something that is derived from this pasuk. In any event, Rashi tells us what is the vayavarachem. The vayavarachem is that... Um, Aharon, when he gave the blessing to the nation, gave the blessing that we are all familiar with, the, the blessing that we call, that we refer to as birchat, birkat kohanim, the blessing, the benediction of the priests, yivarechecha um, ya'er yisa. Okay? I have to tell you that on a very basic level, it makes a lot of sense. If we're going to suggest what the words were, and if the words are missing from the text of the Torah, the words that we would imagine that Aharon would have uttered were the words that we're all familiar with as Birkat Kohanim. 
Obviously, that's what he said. Why would he say anything else? The problem is that these words, etc., do not appear until Bamidbar. We don't know these words. They've never been said before in the Torah. And the first time we come across these words is in Parshat Naso, where the instruction, the commandment for priests to bless the Jewish nation appears for the first time. We're now in the middle of Vayikra. This is Shmini, or nearly the beginning of Vayikra. So it's not going to be another full book, the second parasha of Bamidbar, until we're going to hear about Birkat Kohanim. Can I ask you a question? How would it be that Haran would know to bless Yevarechacha, Ya'er, and Yisa if he's never seen these words before? I understand that Vayevarechem, we have to come up with some text, but why would we assume this text? Maybe he said something else completely. Why would he use this text? Okay, as I said before, Rashi is not coming up with this on his own. He's actually basing himself on a chazal. I've, I've reproduced the chazal here. It's a sifra. And the sifra um, makes a, uh, an observation, which we've already discussed. This is an unknown blessing. The wording of this blessing is, is not familiar to us. We've not been informed. She'i ata yoda'a. We do not know what these words are. In other words, the text of the Torah does not inform us what the words of this blessing was. Chazar hakatuv upirish lahalan. The um, pasuk or the Torah comes back to it and explains later on what the words of the blessing are. And they are, Says the Sifra, even though the words of the blessing are omitted here, we know what the words are, because later on the Pasuk tells us that these are the words that a Kohen uses when he blesses the nation. So Rashi, basing himself on this Sifra, informs us that the blessing that Aharon gave to the nation at the conclusion of this final day, or should I put it, the first day of the Mishkan, by Yibayom Hashmini, it was the eighth day of the inauguration, but the first day of the Mishkan when the fire comes down from heaven, that blessing that Aharon gave was the blessing that we're all familiar with as Birkat Kohanim, basing himself on the Sifra. So now I would like to, there's actually several Talmudic references to Birkat Kohanim that um, correlate this blessing given by Haron and the blessing that's mentioned in Parshat Naso that we're familiar with, the words etc., as Birkat Kohanim. I've, I've quoted one here from, it's a Gemara in Sota, Daf Lamed Ches Amad Aleph. I'm going to read you. Uh, this Gemara, but there's a number of other Gemaras which are parallel texts which also give the impression that the um, Vayikra reference to Vayavarachem of Aaron's blessing is actually a reference to Birkat Kohanim that we are familiar with from Parshat Naso. Tanya, it's taught in Ebraisa. Ko so shall you bless. That's what the Pasuk says in Parshat Nasol. So should you bless. Binesiyut kapayim, it means with uplifted hands. Binesiyut kapayim or eno. Do you say that the priest must recite the benediction with lifted hands? Or perhaps they may recite it without lifted hands. 
answers the Gemara. Um, says the Gemara. Ne'emar kan, it says here, ko tevarachu. And before, in Parshat Vayikra, it said, and Aaron lifted up his hands to the nation and he blessed them. In other words, there is a, um, there is a literary association with the word Kotvarachu and Vayavarachem. Malahalan, just like before, Binisiut Kapaim, he uplifted his hands. Afkan, Binisiut Kapaim, so too here, he uplifts his hands when he gives the priestly benediction. So we see from the Gemara that there is an association between what it says here in our Parsha, Parshat Shemini, and what it says in Parshat Naso. Right? It says there, Kotvarachu which means that this is the way you should bless the nation. The word Tavarachu is similar to the word that's used here, Vayavarachem, and he blessed. Therefore, in the same way as he, he uplifted his hand when he blessed the nation here, so too on every future occasion when the Kohanim bless the congregation, the nation, they have to uplift their hands. So I'm, what this Gemara is really doing is reinforcing the Sifra and it's underlining of what Rashi says, which is that the blessing that Haran gave here in Shemini, which is not really um, explained to us. In other words, it's not expanded. We're not told what the, what the words are that he used when he gave the blessing. But by uh, showing these associations, we can assume it's really telling us that this is not an assumption. It's a fact that the blessing that he gave here in Parashat Shemini was Yivarecha Hashem Vishmerecha and the, uh, because that's the blessing which he is instructed to do and him and his descendants are instructed to give on all future occasions when they give Berchat Kohanim. Case closed, right? I think that we, we've more or less shown that the Talmud and the Midrash totally support this idea that the bracha given here, even though we don't know what it was, is actually Yivarecha Hashem Yishmerecha, etc. We could end the shir right now. Everybody could go home or the people who are listening online could turn off their SoundCloud and everybody would be very happy. We've finally had this mystery resolved. What was the blessing that Aaron gave? No problem. We know Rashi tells us we've got a Sifra, we've got a Gemara, several Gemaras. The, the blessing was Yivarecha Hashem V'Yishmerecha. The problem is, as I already mentioned, that we really, I mean, and I don't wish to dismiss Chazal. Of course, you know that that's not um, the context of what I'm about to say. We really have no reason to assume that Aaron gave this blessing. Maybe he got up and said to the nation, I want to bless you to have a really lovely day. Right? We don't know. The words are not there. So Chazal are telling us that he said, Why? Why are they telling us this? Actually, I've got a better question. Uh, you know, that's, that's a question in and of itself, but I've got a better question. The question really is on Rashi and the Sifra, because the Gemara in Sota doesn't say that Aharon used these words for the blessing. It simply provides a literary association using the word Baracha, Berach, to tell us the mode of delivery. How should Aharon and his descendants deliver a blessing from now on by raising their hands. How do we know that? Because the first time he ever gave a blessing in the Mishkan on the eighth day, he raised his hands. 
Does that mean that the words he used were the same as instructed in Parashat Nasa? Not at all. It could be that there he said one blessing, but he raised his hands. And when the instruction is given in Parashat Nasa, that uh, we refer back to that first occasion as a good example of how he should give a bracha going forward. So the custom of raising the hands, the kanim raising their hands when they give the blessing, is something that's taken from that first occasion. But that doesn't actually mean that the words he used were the same. So the Gemara in Sota is not telling us that Aaron used the words Yivarachacha. The Midrash in Sifra is telling us, us that, and Rashi is assuming that that's what it means. But we really don't have a good, solid reason as to why Aharon should give that blessing. Why would Aharon use words which really have nothing to do with the Mishkan? And the best question of all, why would Aharon give a blessing? Why did he give a blessing? What prompted him to give this blessing at this particular moment? He wasn't instructed. Remember, everything here on the eighth day is strictly by God's instruction. But we don't have an instruction here that Aharon HaKohen should give a blessing to the nation. Do we? There's no instruction. I know I've not included that part of the text, but you don't find anywhere that God instructed Aharon HaKohen to give a blessing to the nation. What prompted him to get up and give a blessing? By the way, in a few moments, we're going to see something terrible happening. In the next chapter, chapter Yud, what happens to the two sons of Aharon? They died. Why did they die? They did something that they weren't instructed to do. Aaron was taking quite a risk here by giving a blessing to the Jewish nation because he was doing something that he'd not been instructed to do. And in fact, that instruction was not going to come until much later. In Parshat Nassau. So he was risking death to give a blessing. Why would he do that? So I know that a few moments ago, you might have said that the shear was over and you could go home. But at this stage, actually, the shear is just beginning because we really need to understand the dynamics of this particular moment in order to appreciate why Aharon gave a blessing and what prompted Chazal, the Midrash in Sifra, to assume that the blessing that he gave was the one that we're familiar with as the priestly benediction. Okay, so the Ramban I'm about to read is the most famous critic of Rashi. And what's so unusual about this Ramban is that he himself is uncomfortable with what he's saying. In other words, he knows that the evidence from Chazal is so strong that the blessing was Yivarecha Hashem Yishmarecha, that he seems almost reluctant to um, give an alternative point of view. Nevertheless, he does it, and you can sense in the language that he uses his discomfort at having to do so, but he feels so vehemently that this can't be right, that he feels that he has to go on the record and just register his protest, as it were. Okay? So the Ramban, such a traditional commentary, you know, somebody who, you know, really it would never in a million years, in every other context, come up with something which is even slightly critical of Chazal, here goes out on a limb and suggests that what we are saying, what we have assumed until now doesn't really make sense, doesn't hold water, needs further examination and explanation. And he comes up with a version 
although he, he himself does not appear to be happy with it. Let's look at the Ramban, the bottom of page one, it's source number five. It says the Ramban. Aaron lifted up his hands towards the nation, he blessed them, Birkat, Kohanim, Yaer, Lashon Rashi. Quotes Rashi, says, you know what he said? He said, the Birkat Kohanim of Yivarechacha Ya'er Yisa. Asks the Ramban, V'imken, Tiyeh parshat daber el harom ve'albanav le'mor, Koto varchu et b'nei Yisrael b'shabachumash ha'pekudim, Mukudemet l'zeh. If that's the case, and this, by the way, is the Ramban following his traditional view that you know, the Ramban is very consistent throughout the Torah, that he doesn't like to um, mix up the order of the Torah. He wants to assume that the Torah is written chronologically, unless there is a compelling reason to um, assume otherwise, he always assumes that the Torah is written chronologically. He says, but here, based on what Rashi is saying, obviously quoting the Chazal, it would appear as if the Torah is not written chronologically. Why? Because if Parshat Naso is in what he calls Sefer HaPakudim, we call it Bamidbar. Sefer HaPakudim, by the way, is the, we're familiar with that from the non-Jewish way, the Gentile way of referring to the fourth book of the five books of Moses is Numbers. Sefer HaPakudim. It's the, it's the uh, census of the population. Sefer HaPakudim. We call it Bamidbar because the first parish in the Torah is Bamidbar. Actually, Bamidbar, if you want to be totally correct. Okay? But um, what he's saying is Bamidbar comes after Vayikra, which means Yevarecha, Hashem, Yishmerecha, etc. comes in Bamidbar. So you're assuming Parshat Naso happened before Parshat Shmini. And the Ramban is just not comfortable with that. Why would it come so much later if it happened before this week's Parsha? So he says as follows. V'ulai, perhaps. Kain hu ki smucha chalot Moshe he says, possibly, although, as you can sense in the language, it's ulai, right? The word ulai is not, he's not speaking with any great certainty here. Possibly, potentially, maybe, it makes sense in this particular instance to assume that the Torah was not written in the right order and that Nasa, Nasa became came before Parshat Shemini, because there, in Perik Zayin, shortly thereafter, um, it says, Remember in Parshat Naso, we have all the gifts of the Nasi'im. And the gifts of the Nasi'im came as at the close of the ceremony to dedicate the Mishkan. Says the Ramban, possibly this was all at the same time. And Naso happens to be in Parshat Bamidbar, but actually it happened before Parshat Shemini. Ulai. Not very happy with that. The Itachen Lomar. And actually, it's likely, it it's, makes more sense to say, Perash Kapav, sorry, Paras Kapav, Nasiat Kapaim, Paras Kapav Hashemaim, he raised his hands up to the heaven, and he blessed the nation. 
Kasher Asash Lama, in the same way that King Solomon did at the dedication of Hidbeit HaMikdash, Shenemar, as it says in Melachim, Vayamod Shlomo, Lifnei Mizbach Hashem, Vayifros Kapav Hashamayim. So we know that this concept of raising up your hands to the heaven at the conclusion of the dedication of a sanctuary is something that was echoed by King Solomon when he dedicated his Beit HaMikdash. And perhaps this is a similar type of event. Aharon raised up his hands and um, he um, blessed the nation. And this is a sort of parallel moment in Jewish history. Aharon did it at the dedication of the Mishkan and Shlomo did it at the dedication of the Bait Rishon, the first temple. Because it says there that Shlomo HaMelech stood up and he blessed the entire nation with a very loud voice. And if that's the reason why it doesn't say here um, that there was an instruction to Moses that this is what he should do, because this is the appropriate thing to do even without instruction, that at the dedication of a Beit HaMikdash, of a Mishkan, of a Mikdash, that you raise up your hands and you bless the nation. This is an appropriate moment to do this. But you can sense here again that the Ramban is using language that he's not comfortable. The Yitachen Lomar. Okay? You know, perhaps, you know, perhaps we could say, because he's not happy that the Parshiot are in the wrong order, and he's also making the assumption that, therefore, the language that was used was not Yivarecha Hashem Yishmarecha. So he is, he is undercutting Chazal here. He's saying, actually, maybe that's one explanation. It's a nice idea that, they, that he said Yivarecha Hashem Yishmarecha. Maybe there's some limud to be taken out of that idea. But actually, practically speaking, this is a parallel moment to the King Solomon moment at the First Temple. And, you know, that's really what happened here. Okay. Continues the Ramban. Turn over. And I saw in a brighter in, um, in the Midrash on Parshat Shmini, as follows. So he quotes the brighter that I mentioned earlier, which is the Sifra. Sifra, by the way, in Torah Kohanim, Sifra is one name for it, Torah Kohanim is another name for it. What does that brighter say? That brighter seems unequivocal, seems to completely agree with what Rashi says, which is that um, here, there is no mention of the wording that was used by Haron, and therefore it was told to us later what that wording is, should be, was. The wording is, So the Ramban, having just suggested that the wording was similar to whatever it was King Solomon said at the time that the first temple was dedicated, has now got a bit of a problem because the Midrash seems to go against what he's just told us. And as I said, he undercut Chazal. I t you can sense his reluctance here. And now what you're, you're seeing is, is he's actually, he's being incredibly honest. He's saying, I know that there's a Midrash which seems to be at odds with what I've just told you, which is that the language wasn't Yivarecha Hashem Yishmarecha. Why? Because the Torah is generally in order and Nasor comes after Shmini. And therefore the words Yivarecha Hashem Yishmarecha 
um, in the context of this blessing that Aaron gave at, the gave at the dedication of the temple of the Mishkan doesn't make sense because those words were not commanded until much later. But there's a Midrash that actually disagrees with me, says the Ramban. How am I going to get out of that? How am I going to explain myself disagreeing with a Chazal? Says the Ramban, he offers two suggestions. Suggestion number one. It's possible to explain that, that Chazal in the following way, which allows me to say that Aharon did not say Yevarechecha here at the dedication of the Mishkan. The actual blessing that Aharon gave, which the wording that we don't know, is unknown and we'll never know because it was self-generated. We don't know those words. And the pasuk doesn't explain to us what it is. However, if you look later on in Parshat Nassau and you want to know what it is that the Kohanim should use as the formula for blessing the nation going forward, look, refer to Parshat Nassau because there the wording is given to us. Um, there it is explained in Parshat Nassau. And that will be the same for every Kohen going forward. So what he wants to, in this first idea, say that Torah Kohanim is telling us is that, that we don't know what Aharon HaKohen said on the Yom Hashmini, the dedication day of the Mishkan. We don't know, but that's not such a good thing. Because what that means is that every time a Kohen gets up in front of the congregation, they could say whatever they like. And we can't have that kind of inconsistency or uncertainty. We need certainty. Aaron HaKohen, whatever he said, he said, and it was wonderful, and we, we know that, uh, you know, that's a good thing. But it's Stuma, we're not informed what it is. Therefore, says the Sifra, the Lord, nit parshalanu, until Parshat Naso, that until we get to Bamidbar, we, it's not told to us what the formula is. And at that stage, the formula was delivered. And from now on, from Parshat Naso and onwards, that is the formula every Kohen has to use, including Aaron Kohen, every time they get up in front of a nation and give a blessing. That's the first explanation. If you look back at the Midrash, it's a beautiful idea that the Ramban has suggested. It doesn't quite fit the words, okay? Just, just there, at the top of the page. So the, the way the Midrash is worded would appear to be telling us that even though we don't know the wording of the blessing that Haran gave here in, gave in Parshat Shmini, later on, the Pasuk tells us in Parshat Nassau what that blessing was. That really is a much more basic and better understanding of the Midrash. So the Ramban is reading more words into the Midrash because he's so uncomfortable assuming Aaron HaKohen knew the wording, the formula for a blessing before it was actually given to us at, um, uh, um, in Parshat Nassau. He comes up with a second explanation. Now, I have this principle, by the way. Whenever you need two answers to a question, it means that one wasn't good enough. 
That means, you know, you give the first answer and people are kind of quizzical about it. Don't worry, I have a second answer as well. You know, hopefully that's the insurance policy that you needed to convince people that, you know, that you have an answer to your question. The Ramban doesn't have an answer, okay? He is, he is searching for answers and he's struggling to fit the wording of the Midrash into an answer so that he can, uh, you know, go, uh, that he can kind of make sense of the fact that Nassau comes in Bamidbar and not before Parashat Shmini. Here's his second answer. Oh, or you can say, Shem Svurim, Shekan Siva Oto Benesiut Kapaim Liyom Zeh, Ulhalan Natna Berachazu Lo Ulvanav Ledorot. So this is something I already suggested in the Gemara in Sota, which is that here the idea was that he was told or he blessed the nation and all the, the you know, the um, ideas, the customs, the, f the formula of doing it, the practical way of doing it was done here, but the actual wording didn't come till later. So if you look at the Midrash, Ve'yavarachem zubrachastuma. Over here, Vayavarachem, he, he blessed them, but we don't know what the wording is. Because we don't know it, because it wasn't given to us in Parashat Shemini. Therefore, the Pasuk tells us later, even though here, this is the Nesiyot Kapayim of the Kohanim, the wording wasn't given to us, therefore in Parashat Nassau, it was given to us, and that's why we have it there and not here. Again, a wonderful idea. The problem is that here there's no instruction of Nisiyat Kapayim. The Nisiyat Kapayim instruction only comes much later. Birkat Kohanim is instructed in Parashat Nassau. So now, simply on the basis of a literary association of the word um, we are assuming that the Nisiyat Kapayim here was mandated, even though the wording wasn't, and the wording came later. Again, the Ramban is squeezing this pshat into the Midrash, so that we can somehow make sense of the fact that Parashat Nassau, with the wording of Yivarechacha, comes much later in the book of Bamidbar, whereas Parashat Shmini, we don't have any wording at all. Somehow trying to make sense of it. But actually, the Ramban's opinion, his gut feeling here is that the wording that Aaron HaKohen used was not Yivarechacha Hashem Yishmarecha. Okay, that, you get that sense as well? He's not agreeing with Rashi. He's uncomfortable about saying that. He knows that Chazal seemed to imply that he did say, He's not comfortable with that. Why would he say something which didn't come until much later? And he comes up with various excuses as to why he's not arguing with Chazal, but essentially he's arguing with Chazal and he is disagreeing with Rashi. So this is a very famous debate. Now, if I finish the Shia, you'd all go home and be very puzzled. Who's right? Is Rashi right? Is Ramban right? Are they both right? Are they both wrong? How are we meant to make sense of this blessing that was given by Haron HaKohen? And there's other questions that we haven't answered, which is, why would he give a blessing? What, what was the blessing about? We don't know, but why would he give a blessing at this particular stage if he's not instructed to do so? So now there's um, a very famous Talmud professor in Bar Ilan University called Joseph Taburi. Rabbi Professor Joseph Taburi. You can look him up. He's written extensively on many topics. He's actually American. I believe he's from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, he studied in a Israel yeshiva in Baltimore. 
I think he was in Chaim Berlin Yeshiva. He eventually ended up in Eretz Israel. I think he was at Merkaz Harav, and he's become a very distinguished professor of um, Talmud, and he also writes on Midrash, and, you know, by association he writes, if he writes on Midrash, he writes on the parasha as well. He has got an extensive piece on this particular issue, and I've just, I've taken an excerpt of it, because he comes up with an intriguing solution, um, which I don't agree with. Okay, it's a very intriguing and compelling solution. I'm going to go through it, and then I'm going to tell you why it doesn't make any sense. Okay? So he says that there is a very distinct difference between blessings and birkat kohanim. So what I haven't really done until now is made any reference to the fact that the blessing that Haron gave was singular, on his own. Yes, he gave a blessing with Moshe Rabbeinu straight away afterwards. Well, what was that about? Was that a joint blessing? Was that Birkat Kohanim? Was that another blessing? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but he gave a blessing on his own. What happened to his sons? What's the instruction to... Um, the priests in Parashat Nassau. So you should say to Aaron and his children, this is the way you should bless. You in the plural should bless the Jewish nation henceforth. Why is Aaron blessing the Jewish nation on his own? What happened to his sons? He has four sons at this stage. Nadav, Avihu, Elazar, Nitamar. Why aren't they blessing the nation together with him if it's Birkat Kohanim? What, he's on his own? He's going solo? He's, uh, uh, what's the word? Moonlighting? Is that the word? I was about to say moonshining, but that's not the right word. Moonlighting, right? Why is he saying it on his own? So Professor Taburi comes up with, a, with this intriguing idea that there's a difference between a private blessing and Birkat Kohanim, and he's going to use that as the platform to try and explain what happened here and what's going on in Parshat Nassau and how we can make sense of these two references to a blessing given by a Kohen. Let's have a look. I didn't translate it. Bracha pratit she'adam varechet chavero. A private blessing that is given by any man to his friend, any person, what is it when I say, God bless you? I do say it, right? I say, oh, I want Hashem to bless you. Or we, I, I'll give you one very good example. We're all familiar with it. On Shabbat, we have a Mishaberach for sick people, right? What, what is the Mishaberach for sick people? We're praying for the sick person. We want them to have a Refur Shalema. What is that blessing? Is that a mandated blessing? No, it's not a mandated blessing. If you never did that blessing, no one, no one can fault you. You're not instructed to give that blessing. When I say God bless you to someone, is that a mandated blessing? I'm not instructed to give the blessing. So what is that blessing? The blessing is we know that God has um, an abundance of blessing, right? He has every blessing that is available is available from God. What I'm saying is, I know this person requires a blessing, right? They need parnasa, they need a refu'ah, they need whatever it is that they need. 
Hashem, please, I'm, it's, a, I'm, it's a tefillah, I'm davening to Hashem, please, can you find part of, the, just a small part of the blessing that I know you have, and give it to this person that they should have the success that they need, or the refu'ah that they need, or whatever it is that they need. It's, it's not actually a blessing, it is a prayer. That's what Professor Taburi says. A private blessing is not a blessing, it's a prayer. Look at the words that he uses. He be'etzem tefillah el Hashem. She'yanig mi birkotav adam she'anu rotzim she'itbarach. It's a prayer. Ach birkat kohanim haba'a mikoach tzivui shel Hashem einena dibur el Hashem. But birkat kohanim, which is really a commandment we saw in Parshat Naso, this is not an expression to God. It's not something we're saying to God. El adibur el ha'adam me'et Hashem ha'mavarecho. It is an expression of God's will that we are uttering, that we are articulating on God's behalf to the person we're saying it to. We're not giving a blessing in the hope that God's going to listen to our prayer. We're actually repeating a blessing. A Kohen is repeating the blessing that God has asked him to give. He is the conduit of God's blessing to the person or people that he's giving that blessing to. It's not his desire that God should listen to him. He is acting as the agent of God who has asked him to give that blessing and deliver it to the personal people he's giving it to. What does it say in the Mishnah Masechet Tamid? He says it's actually part of the Avodah of the Beit HaMikdash. Masechet Tamid talks about the order of service of the um, Beit HaMikdash, what was the order? What did the Kohanim do every day when they brought the Korbanot? They said Barachu. And they read the Ten Commandments. Shema, they said the Shema. They said the second paragraph of Shema. They said the third paragraph of Shema. And they gave a blessing of three blessings um, the three blessings of the Shema uh, to the nation. Emet v'yatsiv, they said the Emet v'yatsiv v'avodah and the avodah. Ubirkat kohanim, and then they said, Yivarecha Hashem b'yishmerecha. So says Professor Taburi, if you look at the mission in Tomid, it's very clear. Birkat kohanim was part of the avodah. It wasn't a self-generated blessing given by the priests. This wasn't something they came, came up with in the morning. They said, you know, I feel very, very benevolent today. I'd like to give a blessing to the people. No, this is but like when we, it's part of the formula, right? When we get up every morning, we say shacharit. We say the Shema. We don't say a Shema of our own making. We say the Shema as it appears in the Siddur. We don't change the paragraphs of the Shema. We don't decide one day we're going to say a different paragraph. We say the paragraphs that are printed in the Siddur. Why? Because that's part of the formula of prayer. Part of the formula of the Kohanim's service in the temple was they had to say Birkat Kohanim. They blessed the nation on God's behalf using the formula that God had prepared for them and instructed them in Parshat Naso. Kach Gam Katav HaRamban, Maimonides includes it in his Halachot, Hilchot Tamidinu Musafin, Shebirkat HaKohanim Shebemikdash Hayata Acharei Shehelu HaKohanim Etivarei HaTamid Lemizbeach. That the Birkat Kohanim, that the 
um, blessing, the benediction of the priests that the priests uttered in the temple was took place after that they had brought up the um, limbs of the Korban Tamid on the Mizbeach. They put it on the Mizbeach. It was the offering of the Tamid and then they gave Birkat Kohanim. So how does that compare with what happened in our parasha? Was the Korban brought already? Now it was put on the Mizbeach. They had slaughtered it. But had the fire of Hashem come down? So if you remember, if you look at the third Pasuk that we brought at the beginning in, in source number one, the fire only came down after the blessing of Aharon, not before. Now, if he was following the service order that we know, we see in Mesechet Tamid and we see in the Rambam, we know that actually Birkat Kohanim only comes after he's brought the Korban, not before. So what was the blessing that he gave before, Vayavarachem, that it says in our Pasuk, in Pasuk Chafbet. If only in Pasuk Chafdalad, we see that the Eish came down from Hashem and took up the Korbanot. Says Professor Taburi, Aval Baparshatenu, in our um, parasha, Parashat Shmini, Aaron Helaita Evarim Lemizbeach, Vayarad, he brought up the limbs to the Mizbeach, then he went down, Measot Hachatat Vaholav Ashlamim. He hadn't actually fully completed the korbanot. He has not given anything to God. He hasn't given God something. The korbanot, the sacrifices, the offerings had not been completed at that stage. Because there was no fire on the mizbeach. The limbs, the, um, the korbanot had been placed on the mizbeach, but... The process was not yet complete. And he's now going down, right? He's doing something else. What was he doing? He was about to give a blessing. Al-Kain. makom Hashem la'am. This is not yet the place for birkat kohanim, which we know was the blessing of God to the nation. This is not the place for Aharon HaKohen to utter the words of Hashem as formulated in Parshat Naso, because it's not yet reached that stage of the service. At this stage, if he says anything, whatever he says, whatever the words he says, even if he's wishing them good morning, it's his own decision to give that blessing. It's a private blessing. It's not a God blessing as instructed to him. This blessing that Aaron gave at this stage was Nothing but a private blessing. So later on in Pasuk Chav Gimel, it says that Moshe and Aaron re-entered the sanctuary and Rashi explains that Moshe taught Aaron he gave him full instructions as to how he should offer up the Ketoret. It's not important what that instruction was, whether he watched Aharon do it and corrected him if he made a mistake, or if he did it and Aharon watched. But at that stage, he did something else completely, and Aharon was watching. And how does the Pasuk, the verse, end? And they came out and they blessed the nation. Kavod Hashem. No, Vayera, I think it is. Vayera, Kvod Hashem. 
El kol ha'am. And at that stage, the um, presence of God was visible to the entire nation. They created the presence of God. Finally, at this final moment, when they blessed the nation, this was the point at which the presence of God, the Shekhinah, finally, as it were, descended into the Mishkan and it was sensed, that vibe was very clear to all the people who were gathered. Brachazu lonit parsha says Professor Taburi, this bracha is also not explained. We don't know what the words are. Ach However, this is an appropriate moment for Birkat Kohanim. After the service is completed and they come out of the Ohel Moed, Moshe and Aaron give a joint blessing. That blessing must have been Birkat Kohanim, not the one that was given by Haron. The one that was given by Haron was a single blessing, a blessing of an individual who wanted to give a blessing, which is a nice prayer. Whatever that prayer was, we don't know what it was. It was a prayer that was given by Haron to the nation. Then they went into the Ohel Mo'ed, they came out together, and then they gave another blessing, which isn't told, which isn't explained to us. That was the blessing that we know as Birkat Kohanim. Why would Moshe be included in Birkat Kohanim at this moment? Because we know that until that stage, Moshe was himself a Kohen. Because the full first week of the Mishkan's opening, the practice run Mishkan that we've described earlier, that was that week Moshe Rabbeinu practiced as a Kohen. He was demonstrating according to God's instructions as to how a Kohen should conduct the service. So, but he wasn't instructed. Why wasn't he instructed? He doesn't need instruction. Says Professor, he comes up with an interesting theory. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu, of all the people uh, who are involved in anything to do with what God wants from us, is one person who never really needs instruction. He has an instinctive understanding of what God wants, and he doesn't need instruction. He doesn't need to be told to bless the nation. He is his trusted servant. And everything he does is by God's will. He is the right arm of God. He doesn't need a specific instruction because everything he does by default is what God wants him to do. Says Professor Taburi, the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu comes out and utters a blessing together with Haran, just by the fact that he does it means that that is what God wanted him to do and it's at God's instruction. It was as a result of the completion of the ketoret, of the incense inside the Ohel Ma'ed with the Haron and coming out and giving the blessing, the Birkat Kohanim, that the service was over and the presence of God was felt and that really explains everything End of story, we can close the share. No, we can't. Because Professor Taburi has come up with a very compelling, intriguing idea, which is that Aaron's blessing, the Vayavorachem blessing, is a private blessing. But the Moshe Aaron blessing in the next Pasuk is Birkat Kohanim. And somehow, as it sounds, it sounds like he's saying, the Chazal got him confused. And they assumed the Aaron blessing is the Birkat Kohanim. 
and the second blessing is something else. But actually, it's the second blessing, which is Birkat Kohanim. And it's as a result of that that we know the service is over because it came at the end of whatever the service was. And therefore, the presence of God was felt in the Mishkan. So he is coming up with a very novel approach, which is the Yavarecha Hashem B'Yishmarecha is actually a reference to the Moshe and Aharon blessing that comes in Pasuk Chav Gimel, not the Aharon Vayavarachem that came in Pasuk Chav Bet. Lovely idea. Doesn't make any sense at all, and I'll tell you why. Number one, where are Aharon's children? Just Moshe and Aharon? What happened to Nadav, Avihu, Elazar and Itamar? They're also Kohanim at this stage, right? They're also part of that process of the appointment of the priests, number one. Number two, still no fire. Fire comes down, Pasuk Haftalad. Surely it should be after that that the Birkat Kohanim happens, not before that. And thirdly, we have a much bigger question. Because the piece that he's left out is a crucial piece of evidence. You know, this is when you're an attorney in a, in a, in a, in a case, right? You're, you're a trial attorney. You come up with that piece of evidence. You know, the other side comes up with a very compelling story. The narrative is brilliant. It makes sense from A to Z. And then you throw a spanner in the works, a piece of evidence which, once you introduce it, turns the opposing counsel's narrative into complete nonsense. I have such a piece of evidence. And by the way, it's not that hard to find. It's a Rashi. And it's a Rashi quoting a Chazal. And it's a Rashi quoting Chazal telling us exactly what that bracha was that Moshe and Aharon gave to the nation. Now, whether the Ramban wants to argue with the Chazal, you can see he was fairly uncomfortable about it. He did it, I'm not going to argue with the Rishon. Right? Professor Taburi ignoring a Chazal, really, come on, let's look at the Rashi. It's, it's source number seven. Rashi says as follows, They came out and they blessed the nation. What did they bless the nation with? Oh, it's very easy. Chazal tell us. They said the words, you know, that we have a, a prayer called Tfilale Moshe. May the beauty of Hashem, our God, be upon us. What, is, what were they saying? Yehiratzon. May it be God's will that the Shekhinah will rest upon the work of your hands. This was the real final moment of the Mishkan's dedication. We want the Shekhinah to be introduced into the work of our hands. And they came out and that was the blessing they gave the nation. Why would they give this blessing? What compelled them? What drove them to give this blessing? Says Rashi. They invoke just this blessing because during the whole seven days of the installation, when Moshe was setting up the Mishkan and officiating and then dismantling it daily, the Shekhinah had not rested upon the Mishkan. And the Israelites, the Jews, felt ashamed, saying to Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, all the trouble we have taken was only that the Shekhinah should dwell among us, so that we may know that the sin of the golden calf has been atoned for on our behalf. That was why we built this Mishkan. Because we feel the vacuum. The Shekhinah is not with us. 
And we want the Shekhinah to be here. You've built the Mishkan every day. No Shekhinah. You've taken it down. No Shekhinah. When is the Shekhinah finally going to emerge so that we know that the sin has been atoned for? So therefore he said to them, This is the thing which God commanded that you should do so that the glory of God may appear to you. My brother Aaron is more worthy and excellent than I am. And through his sacrifices and services, the Shekhinah will rest upon you. And you will know that God has chosen him to bring his Shekhinah upon you. Says Rashi, they came out together, arm in arm, hand in hand, partners. Until that stage, Moshe Rabbeinu has been the high priest. And he's now handing over the baton. He's giving Aaron HaKohen. He's saying to the nation, do you want this Shekhinah that you're so missing in your lives to come onto the Mishkan? Take Aaron as your high priest and everything that he does. Binam Hashem Elokeinu Aleinu. The blessing will be that through Aaron as your agent, he was the one, remember, who had conducted himself perhaps questionably during the episode of the golden calf. But he is now going to be the agent of change. Through him, the Shekhinah will come back. Perhaps you might have thought that through him, the Shekhinah departed, but only through him, the Shekhinah will come back. That is my blessing, our blessing to you. And immediately they see the Shekhinah and the fire comes down and the, and the blessing, the Shekhinah comes true. Does that sound like something Professor Taburi said? No, he said something completely different. So now we really are back to square one, which is, we don't have an answer as to whether or not the blessing that Aharon gave was Yivarecha Hashem Yishmerecha, and if he gave that blessing, how he would know words that had not been formulated yet and would only be formulated in Parshat Naso. So the questions that Ramban has on Rashi have not yet been resolved, which is why he was so eager to dismiss Rashi, etc., and Chazal, right? Let's look at the final source. It's a little long, but we'll get through it. It's the late Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he, go, he has a very, very long piece on this. Again, I've just excer excerpted a, a piece of his very long piece on this. Hopefully, we will resolve many of the questions, if not all of the questions that we've had since the beginning of this year. Regarding the blessing that was given by Haron, where it says that he blessed them in Pasuk Chafbet, says the Rebbe, It's very hard to make the assumption that the blessing that was given by Haron in Pasuk Chafbet should be referred to as Birkat Kohanim. Why? Because the commandment, the instruction, the directive for Birkat Kohanim does not come until much later in Parshat Naso. And if you're going to say that this was the precursor or the, um, the initial moment of priestly benediction, then there should be some reference to it here in Parashat Shmini. You can't make an assumption from Parashat Nassau 
and reverse it into Parshat Shmini if there's no reference to it in Parshat Shmini at all. In exactly the same way as every other aspect of this final day of all the things that needed to be done are very detailed, in, there exist very detailed instructions given by Moshe to Aaron, right? Just the same way we should have some kind of instruction here that Moshe says to Aaron, now at this moment, please bless the nation. By the way, the actual words of the blessing are not going to come till Parshat Nassau, but at least there should be some reference to the fact that Aaron was instructed to do so here, and there isn't. The fact that there isn't means it's quite hard to assume that this is Birkat Kohanim. And he continues, he says as follows, Va'od, and there's another question. Nisiyat kapayim hi mitzvat aseh hamutelet al kol kohen. The nisiyat kapayim berkat kohanim that we're familiar with and that is mentioned in Parashat Naso is something that's instructed, it's a directive that includes in its remit all kohanim, every kohen, every priest, v'imken, madua, is the question, the question we've already mentioned on a number of occasions, which is, if it's true to say this was Nasiat Kapaim, why was Aaron going solo? Why weren't his children included? The old, and furthermore, Bishmini Lemiluim Hayagam Moshe Kohen. On the eighth day of the Miluim, of this preparatory week, on the eighth day, which was the, already the first day of the second week, but was the final day of the prep time for the Mishkan, Moshe was a Kohen. On that eighth day, in the first seven days, only Moshe Rabbeinu did it. Created the temple, took it down, did all the work. But on that eighth day, Aaron and all the Kohanim and Moshe were all Priests who were doing the service and the duties of the temple. In which case, how come he wasn't also included in the Siat Kapaim, the Vayavarachem that's mentioned in Pasuk Chafbet? So there's a lot of reasons to assume that what Aaron did in Pasuk Chafbet, the reference to Vayavarachem, that Aaron raised up his hands and blessed the nation, was not the Birkat Kohanim that we are familiar with from Parshat Nassau, and which is brought down in Halakham, which continue to be included in temple service and in our daily prayer services to this day. And he continues as follows, V'yeshlomar, midivrei Rashi, la'achar ha'milim birkat ko'anim, shemosif Rashi yivarachacha ya'er yisa. So he makes a very interesting observation about the way Rashi expresses himself when he mentions the fact that what Vayavarachem means is Birkat Kohanim. If you remember, Rashi says Birkat Kohanim and continues and tells us Yivarechacha Ya'er Yisa. Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Tumua. That's very puzzling. Why would Rashi need to include these words? Every idiot knows what Birkat Kohanim is, right? I mean, and Rashi is not writing for idiots. Look what he says. Even the smallest child, ask any child who goes to a Jewish school, uh, excuse me, what is the blessing the Kohanim say? They know it. They know the words, etc. They know the words. 
So why is Rashi including the words Yivarecha Hashem Yishmerecha when he tells us that it's Birkat Kohanim? He just could have said Birkat Kohanim. Period. Af im ne'emar b'dochek she Rashi enos somech al kach she yeled yodeazot. And if you would like to suggest, and it really doesn't make much sense, says the Rebbe, but if you want to make the suggestion that Rashi is like sticking in those words, even though he knows that every child knows, but maybe there are children who don't know, and therefore he adds those words. Maybe there's, you know, one in a hundred children or in a thousand children who didn't learn Parshat Naso yet, he didn't get there, and maybe he doesn't know what Berkat Kohanim is when he looks at Rashi. He could have just said, Yevarechacha, Etc. He doesn't need to say Yevarechacha Ya'er Yisa. The words that Rashi could have used were Vayevarechem Birkat Kohanim Yevarechacha VeGomer. Why does Rashi need to say Yevarechacha Ya'er Yisa? Madua hu mefaret et kol shalosh habrachot. Why does he need to actually um, include the first word of each of the three verses of the priestly blessing? So, as a result of this observation, he, um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe uses this as a foundation to understand and contextualize exactly what it is that happened here on this Yom Hashmini of the dedication of the Mishkan. The explanation of everything that we've said. Be very clear. The fact that Rashi quotes this Midrash and says Birkat Kohanim as an explanation as to what it is that Aaron did on that day is not that he is telling you that Aaron actually fulfilled the mitzvah of Birkat Kohanim. That is not what he is telling you at all. Because that's only something that came later in Parshat Naso. Ella, what is he telling us? Aaron. Aaron, in his desire to bless the nation at the end of the service that he had, um, that he had carried out that day. He himself chose these words. Unbelievable idea. It's not something that he was instructed for a moment, he thought to himself, he says, what is the most appropriate blessing that I can give to the nation at this moment? And he came up with a formula. A formula, by the way, that was later enshrined in Parshat Naso. But the formula here was something that was put together in Aaron's mind. He came up with a formula, Yevarechecha Hashem Yishmarecha. Ya'er Hashem panav elecha v'ichunecha. Yisa Hashem panav elecha v'yaseim lecha shalom. These were words that Aaron came up with on his own. He came up with a formula that would later become famous as the words that we use for the priestly benediction. Because they were words that were entirely appropriate at that particular moment as a blessing that he should give to the Jewish nation. And it's for this reason 
that Rashi feels compelled to actually spell it out, as it were, and say, do you know what I mean by Birkat Kohanim? Not that he said Birkat Kohanim, because there was no Birkat Kohanim until Parshat Nasor, but that Aharon used the words of Birkat Kohanim, and Rashi explains what he means. Yivarechacha, Yisa, and Yaer, and Yisa. Because actually it's these three words that encapsulate what it was, the blessing was, that Aaron gave, gave on that day. The whole purpose of the Mishkan is the Pasuk that we have at the beginning of Truma. Make me a mikdash and I will dwell within it. Shachanti, the word shachanti means shachina. I will dwell among the nation. mishkan. As a result of our constructing the mishkan, God will dwell in the Jewish nation in the mishkan. It wasn't enough that the service of that day, of this eighth day of miluim, that wasn't sufficient. It actually required the participation of Aharon. Just doing the things on that day wouldn't have been sufficient. It needed Aharon's personal involvement. It was only through his agency, through Aharon's involvement in the duties and service of the Mishkan, that the the God's presence would be, would come into the Mishkan, we would have the Shekhinah uh, uh, dwell among us. And that is why Aharon specifically, not his children, not Moshe, Aharon as the first agent and the important agent of God's presence in our midst, gave the blessing, this particular blessing, as we'll see in a moment, at the end, at the conclusion of his service on that day. And as Rashi explains in the next Pasuk, in his explanation, his commentary on the next Pasuk, that at the end of the day, when the Jewish nation saw, it's after seven days of Milu'im, of Moshe Rabbeinu doing, going through the motions, as it were. But the Shekhinah is still not uh, dwelling in the Mishkan. We wanted to know that the Egel sin, the golden calf sin, has been atoned for, but we don't sense it because the Shekhinah is not yet here. So... We've wasted our time, our money, our resources, our energy. We believed in something that hasn't come about. Which is why the very first korban, the sacrifice brought by Haron, had to be an egel, a calf, as a form of atonement, as a chatat, for the sin of the golden calf, which he had been involved with. So that we should be aware, the nation would be immediately aware, all this symbolism is so important, that Aaron has been forgiven for the sin of the golden calf, and by that, the nation has been forgiven for the sin of the golden calf.
And now we can understand what Rashi means when he says, Now we understand why Rashi had to be so specific that the blessing that was said here was identical with the blessing of Birkat Kohanim that was much later on given, not much later, however much later on given in Parshat Naso, that the same words were used, but specifically those words. We now understand why Rashi felt it was important to convey this information to us. Because with these words, specifically the words that we are familiar with, through Birkat Kohanim, because through that we understand what it is that Aaron wanted to convey with his blessing. What was he trying to achieve? What message was he delivering to the nation through giving this blessing? The fulfillment of which would be would conclude this period of uncertainty about whether or not they had been atoned for uh, in terms of the sin of the golden calf. God should bless you. God should bless you. The first thing he wants to convey is the blessing that I'm about to deliver or I'm delivering is not from me. It's God's blessing. In other words, this will renew or um, re-enable your relationship with God. This has nothing to do with me. Because otherwise you might have thought or the nation might have thought, Aaron Aharon is connected to this story of the golden calf. How can he give a blessing? How is it possible that Aharon can be the agent? He's saying, I'm not the agent. Stop looking at me. I'm simply a conduit for God's blessing. You will know that God has re-emerged into, into your midst. Because I'm saying it, I'm connected to the golden calf, you're about to see God's presence. That is something I'm conveying to you so that you should know there's been an utter atonement for the sin of the golden calf. So Aaron is saying God is almost appealing to God. Make it clear that it's nothing to do with me. Hashem, he's saying to the nation, it will be evident to you in a moment that the blessing comes from Hashem. I'm simply uh, a, uh, the, an agent of information. I'm not the conduit of any spiritual energy. I'm an agent of information. The bracha, Yevarechacha Hashem. The tochen ha-brachahu. And what is that blessing that God is going to give? Ya'er. Um, it's going to shine, right? That there will be that there'll be a, a presence of God that will dwell within the nation. The light of God's face from above, it will be so clear to you. That's the blessing. In other words, this was an appropriate moment for Aaron to, to draw a line under the entire Egel Hazahav episode, the golden calf episode is over today. In other words, this is the moment where God is going to make his presence felt. And finally, He will carry the sin, he will, um, he will um, 
purge you of all the sin which resulted from having fallen in that episode of the golden calf. Kafisha Mefarish Rashi, as Rashi explains, Yisa, Yichbosh Ka'ason, this is in Parshat Naso. What does it mean, Yisa? It means his anger will have abated. And they will be forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. We'll leave it here.